again, because you folks at home don't know this, but I'm doing this for the second time, but not, so I guess now you know. Uh, welcome to episode 217 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd, and uh, we are broadcasting here live from uh, the Pat Cave deep within Magenta Manor, and uh, I am, of course, brought to you by uh, Deadly Grounds Coffee because we are a part of the Dorkening Network. Just you, though. Just me. I am. Ashes is brought to you by Deadly Grounds Wine, I guess. I don't know. And uh, as you can tell, I am joined by my co-host on the show, my co-host in life. She is the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of Wine, the Queen of the Monsters, and an honorary Lizzie, ladies and gentlemen, it is Ashes Von Nightmare. The the Khaleesi of the Dorkening Network. <laughs> That's fairly accurate, yeah. That's fairly accurate. And we have a really cool episode for you guys today. We have a really fun guest. I cannot wait to talk to our, our guest today. Yes, we are joined by uh, New York Times bestselling author Marcy Kate Connolly. Marcy <laughs> Kate, how are you today? I am great, thank you. Delighted to be here. Yeah, we're very excited to uh, to have you here to help uh, promote your your new book that mm -hmm. is coming out, and uh, it's very exciting. Uh, I love the way it looks. I have read some of it, like we were talking about off air, because we don't mm -hmm. want to spoil things. So we try not to learn too much about it. Although I feel like that seems to be some sort of attitude that we have as a nation right now. We're like, I don't want to know the ending. I'm not going to learn too much about it. So I'll just, just form my opinion on the minimal information. But uh, that's not what we're talking about today. What we are talking about is your awesome new book, Twin Daggers. Mm -hmm. But uh, before we do that, we have a little section that we like to call Getting Into Character. And... We like to do this so folks at home can get to know you a little bit. And um, we were going through some of your, your social media stuff, you know, because mm -hmm. you have your author page, you have your Twitter page. And uh, one of the things we noticed is you have an affinity for certain animals. And so <laughs> the question I have for you is, what is your favorite word for a group of animals and why is it a grumble of pugs? <laughs> um, it is definitely my favorite. My grumble of pugs is definitely my favorite group. Murder of crows is a close second because mm. that's just cool. Um, very goth. But grumble of pugs is, it's so ridiculously accurate. Um, if you are around pugs for a, any amount of time, really, they are so loud. Mm -hmm. They're so tiny and they are so loud and they, they grumble even when they're sleeping. They are constantly snoring and grumbling um but they're so adorable um i have a fond memory sort of fond memory of a, a few years ago when we had our very first pug and my father-in-law slept over on the couch you know the futon in our living room and it was like a snoring contest between him and my dog <laughs> the entire night it was like my husband and i did not sleep at all because they were having a great time snoring and i'm not sure who won but it definitely was not me or my husband well um in yeah. those situations, the important thing is that you participate. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about whether you win or lose. Yeah, they were definitely both participating. Um, but pugs are just awesome. They're just they're great dogs. They're so fun. They're so like, I, they're both chill and not at the same time. Like they're fun and exciting when they're younger. And then when they get older, they're just like, they just want to sleep on the couch all day and, old and be hanging out. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it's kind of exactly what they are. Um, 
they're they're great dogs i love them they're fun see i love pugs i don't have one Yay. but i've been obsessed with pugs since I, I i think since i first saw a pug and was like oh my god what is this creature and where can i find one um yeah so eventually like we've already talked like if we ever get a dog if we're ever in a position where you know, we, we live in an apartment so we have cats you know, mm-hmm. but we, we can't have a dog in, in our current mm-hmm. situation. But I swear, as soon as, as soon as we can get a dog, I am adopting a pug, like, mm-hmm. right away. Right away. So what are their recommend. names? What? I'm sorry? Your, your pugs. What are their names? Um, right now we have two. Um, our very first pug, she passed away a couple years ago, unfortunately. But her name was Tootsie, just oh. like the role. She had lots of roles. <laughs> um, she was, she was the great, she was greatest. Um, we have Milo. Um, we adopted him. We moved out to Arizona a few years ago, and then we moved back here. Like we moved out with one pug, came back with two. Uh, <laughs> like they multiplied, and uh, and then um, more recently, a few years ago, we adopted um, Teddy, who was found wandering the streets of Brockton um, as a stra- <laughs> so random, um, and ended up getting him kind of tangentially through somebody who worked sort of with the pug rescue of New England, um, but they hadn't like officially put him to that channel yet. Yeah. Um, and we ended up adopting him and he was, he's like a really big pug. He's almost 30 pounds. Um, oh he, he was God. 30 pounds. And we adopted him. They should be more like 20. Um, cause he was clearly like massively overfed and we got him down to 25. He's, he was, he's just, he's big boned anyway, but he's now like, he wears it well. Uh, but he was so fat. He didn't even have rolls before. Um, cause they were just like filled with fat, like the poor dog. I felt so bad. Like it was like, he was overfed to the point of it being inhumane Oh my god! and it was terrible. Like he could not even walk to his water bowl without getting out of breath. The poor thing, but he's oh much god. better now. Um, but he's, he's the sweetest dog and, and Milo, he's older. He's a little grumpy. Um, but my, my toddler loves Teddy, loves him to death. He steers clear of Milo because Milo has like maybe three teeth left, but he will nip at him if he bugs him. But mm-hmm. Teddy is like, he can flop on Teddy. The other day I like turned my back for two seconds. I turn around. He is standing on my dog. Like, get oh off God. the dog. What are you doing? <laughs> like, oh. and Teddy just takes it. Like he should not take it. He should growl at him, but he doesn't. He's just like, looks at me like the kid's playing with me again. Help. And like, <laughs> and just, but they're, they're such great dogs. They really are. They're a lot of fun. I mean, you definitely got to go with Milo if you have a if you have a pug. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's like it's kind of a requirement. I think. Yeah. So I think I want to say I haven't seen the movie, but I think in Milo and Otis, I think Otis was actually the pug. Yeah, I but think. I mean, that's... But I could be wrong. I don't know. I haven't seen it. But... It's one of those like I have seen it and I don't remember. So it's like <laughs> either name. Just is associate fine. either of those names. Yeah, yeah. Milo that's or funny. Otis. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um. So the final question I have for you is because you are a, uh, a creative person. You've done, you've made several books. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a chance to ask a question oh, yet. Oh, I, I, you I did was, ask a question. I was piggybacking off of you. I needed to know about the pugs. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Priorities. I thought Excuse what are their you. names was, was your question. No, I was just, I just need to know. Okay. No, I, I go just, ahead. You, you know how I am. I, it, when, I, I I just, an animal's involved and I'm just, I just need to know their names. Okay. <laughs> right. um, so I read in your author bio that you have an affinity for a certain actor and i need to know what is your favorite tim curry movie oh that's a good question um i think my all-time favorite is clue i love that movie and legend is a close is a close Mm -hmm. second they're both so great Uh, but clue i just i love that movie it always just makes me crack up he's so funny 
he's brilliant in that movie. I mean, oh, yeah. this Rocky Horror Picture Show is also brilliant, but like, mm-hmm. I, I love Clue. That was my, I think my first introduction was Clue and Oscar were like my first introductions to Tim Curry and, and Clue was just, I love Clue. It's so great. I, th- I think the fact that he stands out so much in Amidst that, that cast. cast. Yes. Oh my God, he does. It's amazing. I mean, he seals every scene despite yeah. the cast being just yeah. extraordinary for such a movie that bombed in theaters. Which <laughs> like, is kind of crazy. But like, yeah, that baffles you know. me. I, I can't believe that that film well, It's because they showed well. different endings in different parts of the country. So I, which is hilarious. It's so funny. It was like doing like that A-B testing before yeah. it was like a thing. We like all of these. Ah, screw it. Let's just release each one of them different places. <laughs> Confuse then, everybody. Yeah, they so were like, great. oh, did you see how Clue in? Oh, I couldn't believe it was this one. No, that's not what happened. And then <laughs> a third person comes in. No, no, no. This is what, like, did you guys even see the movie? <laughs> so yeah. my, my, uh, are you, are you all set now? Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, as our listeners know, I'm a huge Tim Curry fan. So, so anytime I learn someone else is also a Tim Curry fan, I'm just like, <gasps> let's chat. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> let's, talk about the, let's talk about the fabulousness that is Tim Curry. Yes. He is fabulous. He is fabulous. A fantastic actor. Well, you did get to meet him at Rhode Island Comic Con. <gasps> I did. And mm-hmm. if you ever have the opportunity to do so, take advantage of it. Oh. It's one of the best moments of my life. It was brief, but it was so memorable. And he is just, you know, he knows that he can still get it. <laughs> and he'll let you know that he can still get it. Um, but he's just, he's so charming. So charming mm-hmm. yeah. and so charismatic still. Like, I could totally see that. Oh, uh, I'm so it, jealous. It was <laughs> yeah, if you if you're a fan and if you ever have the opportunity, if he's at like a you know, if conventions are ever a thing again and you right. have the opportunity to go, like it is it is so worth the time and the money to meet him. And That's I awesome. just I mean our, our like I said, our, our meeting was brief. It was only a couple minutes for a photo op, but oh my goodness, he—he's just—he's a gem. He's such a gem. Yeah, you got a photo op with him too. That's yes. oh, I am incredibly jealous right now. The, That's awesome. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the stroke might have you know kind of sapped him physically, but mentally, mm. like there's, we did a Q and A with him, and he was uh, we were, somebody asked him about you know his role in Rocky Horror, and the last thing he said was. I certainly didn't have any trouble getting laid. Like, that was... <laughs> and I was like, well, that answers my question. <laughs> uh, but no, my, my final question for you, because uh, you are a creative person and you are a big fan of pugs. Um, are you as upset as I am that a beagle pug uh, hybrid is called a puggle and not a bagel? <laughs> um. You know, I've never really pondered that, but you're right. It absolutely should be a bagel. That would make so much more sense. I, I especially because I imagine, you know, if they're anything like beagles, I mean, I, I don't know if pugs have the same amount of flexibility to kind of sleep in a circular, like, pattern, but uh, like a beagle does, like the nose to tail thing. Sort of. Depends on how fat they are. <laughs> like, that's. I mean, when I think pug, I don't think like long and sleek no 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 they're like they're like a roll like a loaf of bread but if they're a thin loaf of bread like they could but yeah like teddy can't but milo can oh okay because milo's thinner 
just depends but yeah <laughs> so kind of follow up to that um if you could uh kind of hybridize a pug with another breed what would it be and what would you call it oh that's an interesting question um oh i've never thought about that before well i can tell um, that there's a uh hmm. my mother-in-law had a uh a, somebody that she knew that had a german shepherd pug and what? It was called a <laughs> yes exactly it was a very determined pug and they called it a shrug <laughs> which i totally approve. wow that is really funny. That's that's hilarious. I don't know what I would blend with. I love pugs just as they are. I don't think I'd want to blend. Yeah. I think that's what's so great about them is I, unless it was like maybe with a Frenchie because I love those too, like Ooh, the bad ears, yeah. but they already kind of look alike anyway. So I'm not sure you'd really be able to tell. That's true. So, maybe maybe just with the ears. Yeah. But even so, like, and they kind of look like a pug with bad ears anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if that would do much. I get it. <laughs> So you have uh, you have successfully uh, survived, unless you have another one. No, this question I'm gonna I'm gonna wait. You're gonna wait for this. Okay. Okay. So you have successfully (laughs) survived the getting into character questions. Uh, Those were those were excellent. Nice, and we get to know a little bit more about you and your your love of animals and Tim Curry. So (laughs) we can uh, let's get into the uh, the actual interview and talk about. Twin daggers. Well, before we talk oh, about oh, twin before daggers, we talk about twin daggers, I want to know a little more about this opera sequel to Hamlet <laughs> that you wrote as your senior thesis. Oh, I thought you said I'm Hamilton. Yes. No, not Hamilton. Well, that's Hamlet. why I was like, oh, you know, because we were talking Shakespeare. No, you were talking earlier, and and she mentioned that, and I was like, oh, like she must be really young if she's writing a a sequel to Hamilton. Like that just came yeah. out. I th- I seriously thought you said Hamilton. Now now your comment That's makes funny. so much more sense. I was like, yes, okay. Now I all right. I get it. All right, we cleared up the um, confusion. <laughs> so yeah, I did write um, an opera sequel to Hamlet. Um, I went to Hampshire College, which is out in Western Massachusetts. It's a magical place. They do not give you grades. I loved it. Um, it was an amazing place to be. I got to basically make up my own major, um, which was a basically a double major of music and literature. And, um, and as my division three project, or which is like the equivalent of a senior thesis, um, I wrote this opera. And what I did was um, I basically made the plot of Hamlet's journey through the underworld. And um, then I um, had to make a libretto and that's all the words to the music. And at the, that point in time, I hadn't really figured out that I wanted to be a writer. I like to write music. I had to figure out I like to write words. And I wasn't really very confident in my own ability to write words at the time. Um, so I went through all of Shakespeare's plays after I devised the plot and pulled out all these bits and pieces of lines and passages that could possibly pertain to parts of the plot and then kind of Frankenstein them back together. So all the words are Shakespeare's, just not quite exactly in the order that he wrote them. Um, the subtitle, the, the title of the play, of the, the opera is The Undiscovered Country. And the subtitle is Quilting with Shakespeare, because that's kind of what I was doing. Um, and then I wrote the music, and I basically spent like about a year working on this project. Um, I took a couple of classes, but I think the second, the last semester was just writing this music, and it was glorious. It was so much fun to be able to just like do my creative thing for a whole semester. Um, I never actually got put on. I tried to, 
I held auditions um, after I graduated at the college and tried to get like other students to participate. And unfortunately, only two people showed up. <laughs> so that never got off the ground, sadly. Um, and then after I graduated, um, I very quickly discovered that uh, new operas by totally unknown composers are not exactly in high demand. So I had to get like an actual job. So that was, you know, a bit of a, it should not have been a shock to me. But, you know, you cannot make a living writing music very easily. So um, had to get an actual job and started working in Boston um, for arts organizations and things like that. And that kind of set me on a different path. But, but I, I wrote the opera sequel. It was a lot of fun. Maybe someday it'll get played like posthumously or something. Well, I mean, you've got, you know, you've got a little bit of clout now with, uh, you know, you've got like half a dozen books that you've written. Well, yeah, but not with any, like, opera company who's going to want to put on my show. It's expensive. Operas are so expensive to put on. Well, start, you know, start, start small, you know, see if you can. Maybe, I mean, maybe there's a community theater group out there who's ambitious enough. To maybe, maybe. We'll see. Maybe someday. It would be, be fun. The off, 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 off Broadway. <laughs> well, this is what you Not even do. close to Broadway. <laughs> you get your, uh, you, you, you know, once one of your books gets optioned, for a movie like okay but here's the deal you also have to produce this opera <laughs> that might be a little out of their depth but uh, i'll see if my my agent my film agent will go for that hey, you never know you gotta you gotta you know like what you Wayne gotta, Gretzky you gotta make says, demands you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take so and to That's be honest like 10 out of 10 would watch absolutely like i would i would absolutely watch this i'm very intrigued yeah so you know, that kind of, uh, you know, hearing about this kind of helps me. Uh, it's sort of uh, some of the questions that I have asked, you know, that I have uh, scripted out mm -hmm. um, revolve around the Shakespearean influence of your work. So mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about this book, <clears throat> because this has a Shakespearean influence as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what kind of drove you to write this story um so it's, it's a basically a fantasy retelling of romeo and juliet um if it was set in the world of magic versus machines and if juliet and her twin sister were magic wielding spies um i've loved shakespeare for a long time um when i was a little kid um, i have an older brother he's about 10 years older than me um, and he was an English literature major. So I was the bratty little sister when I was like eight and nine who would go into his room and steal his books off his shelves. Um, so I was reading things that were like wildly inappropriate for an eight, nine year old to be reading. Um, but I thought it was fun. It was my big brother's book. So I wanted to be like my big brother. because He was cool. Um, so I was reading like, I, I saw a Midsummer Night's Dream and I was like, oh, fairies, cool. And like everything else went way over my head. Um, and I think I read Hamlet. Um, I read Romeo and Juliet around that age and I loved the words and like how they work together. I didn't understand half of them, but I loved the rhythm and the, the pictures it put in my head were just really fun and fascinating. And I kind of just fell in love with that. Um, along with like Poe as well. Um, fairy tales like the Grimm's fairy tales. I love those, the darker, the better. Um, I also enjoy Disney too, but I love the Grimm's fairy tales. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a weird kid, but that was that's okay <laughs> happens um so i've kind of have this like lifelong love of, of shakespeare and um at some point i was bound to write a retelling of shakespeare in some way shape or form um and like i mentioned earlier when i went to college i did a double major in music and literature so i read a lot of classic literature then as well um and really enjoyed a lot of that and some of it was not enjoyable but i 
found inspiration in a lot of different things. Um, but for this book, um, I when I get story ideas, I tend to um, get little bits and pieces of ideas at a time that are not fully formed. So I have this like Dropbox folder of like random stuff that I just kind of like jot down some idea, like a little grain of something. I'm like this could be cool. It's not there yet, but I'm going to put this away and tuck it away for a rainy day when I'm trying to figure out something new to write. And this idea of like a world of magic versus tech technology um, had been kind of in the back of my head for a while. And um, and also I first started writing this in 2012, by the way. So this book has been like eight years in the making. <laughs> I know that um, feeling. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's taken a while. Um, and so I... Um, it was before I sold, before I got my first agent. It was like right before I got this idea. Um, and I had this idea of um, Romeo and Juliet combined. I was kind of combing through that folder of ideas. And I was like, oh, maybe I could do like a retelling of Shakespeare. And this could like work with this like star-crossed lovers, these two warring factions. That could be a really fun way of kind of spinning on it. Um, and it went through various iterations. Um, initially, it was more like inspired by Romeo and Juliet. So it was didn't have more direct connections like now it has more worked in more direct connections later on um as i realized that i need to strengthen the story and the plot um and that kind of evolved in that sense um and now there's a lot more direct connections most of them are in the the end toward the end so they're kind of spoilers so i can't say all of them but right. um <laughs> there is also a sequel to the book so the ending is a little different from Shakespeare's of the first book. Anyway, no promises about the second, but the first book, they don't die. <laughs> so, um, cause they still go on to the next one. But, um, that idea of like the star cross lovers, um, one thing I always loved about Romeo and Juliet, especially when I read it as a teenager in, in my English literature class, um, was that like that teen angst totally related to that. I was a very angsty teen. So that really like that hit home for me. Um, and it seemed like a really great thing to tap into for a young adult novel. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, when you when you go into the novel knowing that, you know, it's based on uh, uh, Romeo and Juliet and you're immediately mm -hmm. introduced to these two separate factions and, mm -hmm. that are diametrically opposed to each other, mm -hmm. you know, um, although I guess if you were to, you know, really take it literally, you know, to, to the... the the next degree, you know, you have that uh, Arthur C. Clarke quote where, you know, any sufficiently advanced form of technology would be indistinguishable from magic. Very true. Um, but in your in this case, it's actual like Harry Potter style magic. Like there's mm -hmm. real magic. Um, I like some of the spells that were being used, especially like right off the bat. Like those were some pretty cool. Uh, it was it's almost like the uh, instead of using like you know, the, the Latin like uh, JK Rowling used like you're mm -hmm. using different words but you can definitely tell what these words are and what they mean and what the spells intent is yeah I was taking pulling from like French and German and mm -hmm. and a little bit of Latin too yeah, as well the, but the romance things. languages and exactly and, yeah. and German um, <laughs> some but, random Germans are there a couple places but, <laughs> but yeah there's uh, there's definitely uh, where it's aimed towards uh the young adult audience you kind of want these uh the 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 people who are reading this you know because it's not necessarily young adults right it's um you know folks who you know just like this genre you want them to be able to recognize the words and not you know get lost right 
So this is your first young adult novel, correct? Yes. The first one to be, to be published. Yes. So what, <laughs> um, yeah. What made you want to pursue writing a young adult novel uh, in comparison to your other works? So that's a funny story. So um, I kind of, my, my other books are middle grade, which is like ages eight to 14 ish. Um, and I kind of fell into writing that. I actually, when I first started writing um, back in 2008, um, I actually was writing young adult books primarily, um, or so I thought anyway. And my very first novel to be published, Monstrous, um, I actually pitched that to my agent as young adult. We pitched it to my editor as young adult. And then my editor turned around and said, I want to buy this, but I want to buy it as middle grade. And we were first kind of like, hmm, that's interesting. What is that going to entail? Um, and had this before we officially you know, sold the book, we um, accepted the deal from, the, from my publisher. We'd had this chat with her and she, you know, we discussed, you know, what needed to change. It was basically just this one aspect of the, in the last third of the book that was like a little too mature. Um, that needed to be aged down, but the rest of it really did have a middle grade feel. And after talking to her, I was like, wow, she's totally right. <laughs> I've been writing a middle grade. I didn't realize it. Um, so I kind of fell into it that way. Um, and I love writing middle grade. It's a lot of fun. Um, as you know, that age when it, when books were so formative for me as well. Um, but they also were very much formative for me in high school too. Um, throughout my entire career in public school, I was never popular. So um, I was made fun of a lot, bullied a lot. So books were very much an escape for me. It wasn't until I went to Hampshire College where I was no longer the weirdest person in the room um, that like, I, I still escaped into books, but in a different way. Um, so that kind of, I kind of fell into the middle grade thing, um, but I love it. So it's great. It worked out well, but I wanted to get a, a YA published for a really long time because that's what I initially wrote. Um, and Monstrous, my first published book, was by no means my first written book. It was actually the seventh book that I wrote. And all the ones before that were young adults. Um, and so I kind of had this lifelong love of, not lifelong, but long term rather, excuse me, um, love of young adult books. So I wanted to, to break into that particular category. Um, and Twin Daggers has kind of been that book that I've been working on between contracted projects um, since 2012, basically. Uh, it's kind of my my guilty writing pleasure <laughs> between between those books, trying to get it ready for my agent, my very patient agent, who I kept saying, I have this really cool story. I'll have it to you really soon, I swear. And like years later, I finally send it to her. Um, so <laughs> uh, but she was she was fine with that. Um, but yeah, so it took it took a while to get there. But it's they bought it and now it's going to be out and I'm really excited about it. So hopefully people will, will enjoy reading it as much as I enjoyed writing it. You made a comment that you were the weird kid. And I just want to say that weird kids make the best adults. Yes, they do. Like, Absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. Like I find that the most interesting people, the people, the most creative people, the people who we choose to surround ourselves with were weird kids. So mm -hmm. it's just, just a comment I want to throw out there. Yeah. Weird kids rule. Absolutely. I mean, how often have you heard someone like, yeah, I wasn't popular in high school. I was bullied. And now I create this amazing art because I was inspired by all these amazing artists who themselves were considered the weird kids, mm -hmm. you know, who had this, you know, uh, difficult upbringing in one way or the other, whether you were bullied, whether, you know, you know, you didn't have a, a traditional, you know, nuclear family and upbringing mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, like the people that are jocks, like there was a kid that I 
uh, played against in high school that was just this kid, you know, was like superstar in every sport, average student. He was drafted by the Red Sox, and last I knew, he works at a, at a car dealership. Yikes. You know? I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's like, you know, I see these people that I, I went to high school with and, you know, people that I'm friends with now that are like, oh, yeah, I was the weird kid, and it's like, now I write comics, now I draw comics, now I'm, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm in, I make movies. Like, there's there's so many of those kids that are expressing themselves creatively because that's what they know how to do mm-hmm. absolutely and, it's an outlet they can they're able to take it and like do something with it as a career and that's you know that's a great thing so i agree so we've talked about how you've adapted uh, romeo and juliet and also mm-hmm. hamlet <laughs> and do you have any plans to adapt anything else um i mean hamlet hamlet has kind of been done if you want to count the lion king in a roundabout way oh yeah it's been done a lot um are there any maybe some lesser known stories that you know you might want to throw out there and and take a crack at oh yeah there are um i have i have numerous things that are in the works um who knows if they'll ever sell um but there's there's i have this like sci-fi space opera retelling of the trojan war like retelling all three of the epics the Iliad and Ian and the Odyssey. Um, and, but like a YA sci-fi trilogy is kind of the kiss of death in publishing right now. So who knows if that will ever happen or that. sell. Um, but it's something I love and I'm, I'm like 75% done with the first book. But you know um, that if but, that's sold, you know. like the last book would be two movies because that's what they do. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, that's just what they do. Um, but yeah, so that's what it's like. I love the story idea. It's so fun, but who knows if it's going to happen? That's my current between projects, guilty writing pleasure. Um, so I've been working on that for a few years now. Um, I also, um, what else am I doing? That's still is more like a real retelling. Um, I have like this idea for some picture books, which I writing shorts, not my forte, but mm. I'm trying it anyway. Cause who knows? Um, that involve retelling some po- of some of Poe's work, so we'll see if that ever gets anywhere. Probably won't, but it's a lot of fun, so we'll see. Um, it just depends on the idea and if I get something like a cool idea like that. So, but the main the main one is probably the the, the Trojan War epics that I'm thinking of at the moment. Okay, yeah, I mean that's it's definitely there. There's a a value to those types of stories where you're telling, I mean, how many, t- I look at, uh, Oh brother, where art thou? Like, which is essentially the odyssey. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> so good. And it's done so well that you like, you don't know that you're, you're watching, you know, this, you know, millennia old Greek fantasy. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, John Goodman is a Cyclops. I mean, Come on. That's what I haven't seen that movie in years, but that's really funny. Yeah. I remember it was a good movie. Mm. So I want to get into the characters a little bit mm-hmm. and talk about, is it, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing this correctly. Is it Asa? It is Asa. Yes. Asa and Asa. Xandria. I want to know the yep. inspiration behind these two characters and how did you come up with their names? Because they're so, it, it's, they're beautiful. Yeah, I had a question uh, about that too. Cause uh, yeah. 
A, A, just a, one's A, one's Z. Is, was there anything that goes to that? Yes, that was kind of exactly. I want an A name and a Z name because <laughs> they're kind of opposites. So opposite ends of the spectrum there. Um, that was kind of how that worked. Um, the A name, Asa, that was actually the name of a friend of mine in high school. And I just had, I thought it was the prettiest name. Um, so that's where I got that one from. Um, cause I wanted to use that for a while. And it's like, this would be a great book. I need an A name. Let's use this. Um, and then Xandria, I'm not sure how I came up with that. I just kind of was like, I need something with a Z. I, almost, I didn't, wasn't almost. going for Zelda. Cause that just sounds too much like the video game and didn't want yeah. that to come across weird and, it and almost like, sounds Andrea. like a... a like, like, kind of like Alexandria. Alexandria, yeah. yeah. It kind of does, yeah. And, yeah. If, and if you like Greek stuff, maybe you had just been working on that Trojan thing. <laughs> maybe I had. I don't remember maybe, where like, I got that it that was from. just like... <laughs> you know, that, I mean, that would be an interesting nickname for someone named Alexandria. That's true. That would be. That's a good point. I don't know where I got it, to be honest. But I, I, I just thought I needed a Z name of some kind. Um, the A and the Z to have the twins that are kind of playing off each other and foils to each other um but at the same time very much connected and need each other mm -hmm. um i wanted to write a twin book for a while i am not a twin but i always wanted to be one when i was growing up i had an imaginary friend named sally and she was my my twin um and she was super annoying she like sugar out of the sugar bowl and like take 20 minutes to walk through a door my i made my parents wait for her um drove away nuts <laughs> they were very happy when she finally faded away um but so I always wanted to be a twin. So I was like, huh, you know, live through this vicariously, writing a twin story. Um, and one thing I thought would be, one thing I was doing while I was writing that was there's, you know, you like, read a lot of things where people like have superstitions about twins, about, you know, like they're magical or mystical or something. And these, they are magical, but not like, cause they have to be part of the Magi, which is the magic people who have magic. Um, and they have some special magic for various reasons that you'll discover later on, no spoilers, but mm -hmm. they do have, they, they can um, impact the machines with their magic. Whereas most magi can only impact the natural world. Um, but they have, they have kind of evolved into a different form of magic and they, nobody really knows why, but they have to keep it a secret because if um, anybody, if any of the magi know that they can affect the machines, they'll be like looked on as tainted. And as if they're like, you know, associated with the technocrats and that would be very bad for them. Um, so they keep that a secret. Pure blood. Yes, exactly. There's there's a bit of there's a bit of that in there, which is mm. you know, um, but this idea of like there's at one point in the story you may probably have got to this point, but it's it's about midway through, so it's not really a spoiler. There's a point where Asa has to tell a lie about you know how they're able to do, you know how how they're supposed to be so how they're so good at their job, and she lies and tells somebody it's because you know their power. Um, when they're together, it you know magnifies each other's power, which is a total lie. Um, but that's what she has to say in order to protect their actual secret. Um, and it's that kind of playing off that idea of like twins having this mystical power when they're twinned together and that kind of a thing, which kind of trying to undermine that, that sort of trope in a way. Um, it was really fun to write the twins though, because having that, like those two people who are very different, um, but playing off each other and that like sisterly bond, I enjoyed that. It was fun. Now, did you put any of yourself into these characters? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there's always a piece of me of my characters in some way, shape, or form. Um, one thing about Asa is, like, Asa's... Xandria is the flirt. She's the more outgoing one. She's a total flirt. And Asa is more awkward. 
and I was definitely awkward. So like a lot of my own teen awkwardness is very much in Asa. Um, and she, of course, is the one who ends up having to try to seduce this person to get information out of them. And she's basically like, what am I doing? And has to like confer with her sister about like telling her every little detail, like what, what does he, is it working? Is it not? Um, Cause she has no idea. So she's just like trying and in some ways failing, but then trying. And her sister's immediately when she meets him is like, oh, we can use him. And Ace is like, oh, you're right. I should have been nicer. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so she then tries, but it's, it's really, that was really fun because that was definitely very much a awkward, awkward teen Marcy Kate in that, in that, in that part of her character. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think every, every writer puts a little bit of themselves because definitely if you're trying to recreate something that a character is going through you put some of your own experience in that because otherwise it's very difficult to write intelligently about something that you have no experience with which is why a lot of uh, early Stephen King characters uh, suffer from drug and alcohol addiction <laughs> um, and he's very he's very much able to like this is how the guy felt as he was injecting heroin. This is how he felt, you know, pounding a beer while driving down the highway and like ripping lines of coke. Yikes. Like, if you have experience. Yeah, if you have those experiences, but at the same time it's also like, okay, you know, you know, this is how character A felt when they were betrayed by character B and it broke their heart. Like mm -hmm. if you've had that situation, even if it's not like, oh, I suffered a romantic heartbreak, but it was, you know, you lost a friend or you lost, mm -hmm. you know, you had a, a falling out with a family member, you can kind of uh, extrapolate those feelings and kind of paste them on to um, your character. Absolutely. And especially if you have the uh, ability to explain that in a really coherent way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's... Uh, that's probably, you know, the most difficult thing is really. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word that I that I want to use, but like getting your point across and getting the words out and using the correct words to really convey, you know, the depth of the emotions that your characters are feeling. Because mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I know how I felt in this situation. How do I put that into words? How do I use a metaphor that really encapsulates that? And it's it's tough. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely can be. <laughs> I also really enjoyed the bond of sisterhood in this book. So I, mm -hmm. I have a sister. I have a younger sister. And um, she drives me crazy sometimes. We can, we can be very similar and on the same page. And yet mm -hmm. at times we can be polar opposites and drive each other crazy. And so while reading this book, it kind of reminded me a little bit of my own relationship with my sister and how at the end of the day, regardless of what happens, she's still my sister and I'm going to do anything for her. Mm-hmm. And I Absolutely. just, I, I really appreciated uh, that, you know, uh, that, that, that part of the story was just, I think, so beautifully done and, you know, and true. Like, I mean, you said you have a brother. Uh, I have so, a sister, too, well, actually. Sister. She's okay, also perfect. older than me. So. So, so you know how, yeah. like, that bond of, of sisterhood is so important. You Absolutely. Know, regardless of what happens. Yeah, it's, and that's definitely a really important bond, I think, between siblings is, 
it, it also depends on how you grew up. Like some people hate their siblings, but but still, like they're your siblings, even if they drive you crazy. Like they're family, and you know, especially like with with Asa and Zandria, they have this not just their family bond, but the secret that bonds them as well. Like they're bonded in a lot of ways, um, and they they need each other in a lot of ways. And the second book actually kind of explores their dynamic um, after the events of this this book. I won't spoil it, obviously, um, but there's there's more there's more more sisterly interaction <laughs> there's, there's, uh, there's something so magical about the bonds of sisterhood to begin with and then the fact that you just you bring magic into the equation uh you know just kind of really heightens it and i think it's a really enjoyable read thank you glad to hear that yay it worked <laughs> <laughs> always nice to hear when something goes over well <laughs> so you know, that kind of has answered, um, or sort of, sort of answered my, uh, one of my upcoming questions, but, uh, why did you choose the narrative slash point of view style that you did? Cause I thought that was a very interesting choice. Um, from Ace's point of view only. Yeah. So I, I've been asked that a, a number of times, actually. Um, I, I toyed with the idea of using Xandria's point of view. Um, however, depending on where you are in the book, you may or may not know this, but it's it would be very spoilery to use her point of view. Um, and and there's not there's it can work in some books to have a lot of the readers know what's happening before the characters do, but there's a point where that also gets frustrating for the reader. And I feel like if I had done this from both their points of view it would have gotten frustrating really quickly and early on um, because there's things that Xandria is engaged in that Ace is not aware about and that causes some tension between them um, throughout the first half of the book and if Asa knew what those things were and who they involved exactly that would made the book a lot shorter <laughs> Um, to say the least. Um, and, and it would have been pretty spoilery. So, and if the reader knew those things, it would have been very frustrating for them to see Asa going through these other things, other events happening without knowing this. So um, I did toy with that idea, but I decided to stay in Andrea, and, and not Andrea, combine their names accidentally, Asa's <laughs> head. Um, also, I related to Asa the most. Um, so I found it easiest to get into her head, um, into her character. Um, and especially since I was writing this between other contracts, I was kind of basically head hopping from different books at various times to try to get back into that mindset. Um, I found getting back into Ace's head the most natural way of a way of doing that. You know, and as a reader, sometimes it can be a little tedious almost when you get something from each character's perspective. Whereas mm -hmm. the narrative just kind of makes more sense if it's told from the perspective of just one character. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's it's it, you could go both ways because you can also have I mean where you, where your story, uh, the way it's structured, it makes sense. But if you were doing you know, and we brought this up a couple of times in our other interview, but Game of Thrones because there's such a massive scale of not just characters but like you know, landscapes and, and different political factions. And there's, there's so much like you need to have different points of view from different yeah. characters. Um, 
But I do like the fact that, you know, you have one character operating without the knowledge of what the other is doing. And I think that definitely uh, benefits your story. Yeah. So the next thing I was going to ask is, uh, you know, you touched on it a little bit. But you said you have a bunch of different projects that you're working on all at the same time. How do you get into different headspaces <laughs> for different characters? Like, is there, like, okay, I need to get into this headspace, so I'm going to watch this movie or listen to this music. Um, what is it that you do to kind of bounce back and forth? Um, music really helps. I have a playlist for each of my books, and that really helps get me kind of into that frame of mind for that character. Um, it's and then when I'm, I'm, I find multiple middle grade books, that gets a little trickier because sometimes I use like similar playlists depending on the book. But um, but for this book, it was um, a lot of Muse, um, a lot of Ruel. Um, those were two of the big ones like that were Ruel. on my list. Like which one? Ruel. I mean, Muse yeah, is good too. She's great. Ruel is. Yeah. yeah the theme the theme songs for this book were uh, Monsters by Ruel and um, Uprising by Muse. Were kind of like if I listened to those two books. I was back in Ace's head. Um, not to touch books. I cannot talk today. I'm sorry. Those two songs, not books. <laughs> uh, and I was back in Ace's head. <laughs> I have a toddler. I don't get enough sleep. I apologize. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> like... <laughs> um, yeah. No, that makes sense. Uh, definitely with the, the, the toddler. Now, do you have any uh, any stuff that you're uh, you're basically what's next? You know, after um, this, after this book, um, I have a two sequels coming up. I have a sequel for a middle grade um, story. Um, it's a the first book is called Hollow Dolls that came out earlier this year, and the sequel was called Lost Island. That'll be coming out sometime in 2021. I don't have a date yet because of the whole pandemic thing. Um, and then the sequel to Twin Daggers, um, which I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the title yet, so I'm going to keep a lid on that, I guess. Um, that's coming out again in 2021 at some point. I don't have a date specifically, but I'm assuming it'll probably be around the same time, um, probably like late August, early September of 2021. Um, I'm currently sitting on three unrevealed covers for books, Ooh. which is killing me because oh. they're so gorgeous. Oh, my God. Um, the sequel to Twin Daggers, the cover for this actually might be my favorite cover ever. And I have been really blessed by the cover gods. Um, but the, it's so badass and awesome. And I love it so much. And I'm not gonna be able to reveal it until like November at the earliest. <laughs> Just killing me. I've had it since like May. <sighs> Dying. So great, though. Speaking of covers, we were actually just talking about cover art with our last interview. Uh, the cover for Twin Daggers is just fantastic. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Did you have any say in the design or was it just kind of all the will of somebody else? It was primarily the will of somebody else. And that's kind of thing with covers is usually like you, your editor will just send you this design and say, we love this and hope you do too. And hopefully you say, yes, it's wonderful and not, oh, my God, this is terrible. I've been fortunate that all my covers have been, like, amazing. Um, but for Twin Daggers, they did actually ask me um, for some, like, comps, like, other covers I liked and, like, what stylistically I might have envisioned. And I was like, I want daggers on the cover. 
there needs to be daggers somewhere on this cover. Um, that was like my one stipulation. Um, and I kind of liked the idea of like, so it has more of like an iconic feel rather than like a girl in a dress. Like a girl in a dress totally would have worked for the characters. There's mm-hmm. a point where there's like a, a ball. So it could have worked, but um, but really wanted something kind of badass. And they 110% delivered, was delighted with that. So they sent it to me and I was just like, this is amazing. Um, my very first cover I ever got though, um, for it was for Monstrous. And it's almost the same as what it is now. I know this is just audio only, but I'm holding it up for your benefit um it's this one here and um the the first cover of it it's um got this girl who's a monster she has like a wings and tail and cat's claws and cat eyes and she has to hide them because she goes into this other town and pretends to be a human and like do do things and free people um but on the cover initially there was somewhere between like editorial to the art department to the artist there was a miscommunication about what kind of claws she has so the first iteration of my cover and me being a nervous debut author at the time, um, I was like, oh my God, what's wrong? She ended up having this like enormous lizard claw. And which like, instead of cat's claws, which are like retractable, um, like, so you could not go like hold hands with a boy and pretend to be human with this enormous lizard claw on her arm. Um, so I like frantically emailed my agent because the rest of the cover is gorgeous. And it was a beautiful lizard claw. It just wasn't in the book. I'm like, what do I do? Can we fix this? She's like, just tell the editor. It's fine. They'll you fix have it. to change your book so. now. <laughs> I know. I was like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Goodreads, but I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go on my, my like Goodreads and mark it one star because it's like, there was no lizard claw in this book. One star. This disappointed. cover is a lie. Um, so <laughs> fortunately, they were like, my editor was like, oh yeah, that is a lizard claw. We should just, we'll change that. No worries. And like a month later, it was fine. She had like two human looking hands. Um, but that was like, gave like debut author me a panic attack. Like, oh my God, what, what do I do? Because um, you really have no control over the covers. Yeah. Um, the one time I did actually get to see the process that was really cool. Um, this book, The Star Shepherd, um, lovely cover. It's all foil and shiny. Oh, I, I love, love it. it. Yeah. Um, I co-wrote that with Dan Herring, who's an artist and animator. And um, so I got to see those illustrations of the book. I got to see like the cover concept from start to finish. Cause like he showed them to me first because <laughs> we were working together and co-writing, um, which was really cool to see like the whole evolution from start to finish and like, just to see how it evolved was was crazy. Like it's so different from the very first iterations, um, but it's perfect for the book. So like that was really neat to have like that sort of sneak peek into that. Cause I don't know what goes into all the covers that I get in my books. I just see the final product usually. Yeah, that's usually the way it goes. Um, you know, and sometimes it's, it's like, oh, this is a great cover. And other times it's like, why did you Ooh. choose that? Yeah, and I've I- had some friends who really hate their covers, um, but like, you can't really do much about it because you don't have like you can like ask for tiny like small changes but like if the whole concept is just like way off uh, you can try but like you generally unless you're like jk rowling or stephen king you usually don't have much power about I, that. I came across so. a movie like that recently called amityville island and the, the movie poster is this huge shark about to to eat a, a girl in a bikini and that never happens in the movie and there's a shark in it for about 30 to 40 seconds and that's so weird like it's like they're marketing it as a shark movie and it has nothing to do with that like it's one of the worst things i've ever seen it there's like six different plots all going on at the same time and the movie's like 75 minutes long so there's no development on any plot it's like this is the worst thing i've ever seen and the poster makes no sense yeah the poster is like yeah somebody got attacked by a shark but somebody also got attacked by a bear and that was a way longer scene 
Like, oh, yeah, it was... Very strange. Yeah, it's... Mm. <laughs> yeah, should you have uh, some more yeah, questions? So, so getting back to, you know, the book and what we were talking about, mm -hmm. do you have any advice that you would like to give for future authors? Sure. Um, I think the... There's two pieces of advice I have that I like to give. Um, first, keep writing. Um, I know it sounds very like trite, but mm -hmm. like it's so true. If the it, it can take a long time to get a book published. I started writing in 2008. I did not get an agent until 2012, like mid 2012, um, and that was a pretty medium road. It felt really long at the time. <laughs> um, I wrote six books before I wrote Monstrous, my first acquired book and i queried that's why when you pitch agents it's called querying um and i queried three of those other books and racked up hundreds upon hundreds of rejections i kind of stopped counting around 300 because it was just paper. super depressing yeah you totally could <laughs> um it was super depressing at that point and i kind of had to take the step back um before i got the idea for monstrous and be like why am I doing this? Like, this is terrible. I'm getting this like constant avalanche of rejection. It really sucks. Um, and I came to two conclusions. The first was that um, I loved writing and I had way more stories to tell. So I was going to keep doing it regardless of if I, got, if I ever got published. And two, that I was going to keep trying to get published because if I didn't, I would always wonder what if, and that would like haunt me. <laughs> and I didn't want to be haunted by that. So my initial idea was like, I'm just going to take a step back, write a book just for me. And then after that, I'll try to get something more commercial and get out there. And the book that I wrote just for me would end up being monstrous. This like weird monster girl that I like didn't show my critique partners for months because I was just like obsessively tinkering with it and like very oddly protective of my weird little monster girl. And my critique partners eventually were like, you need to send this out. This is great. This book's going to be the one. I'm like, well, we thought the one before this was the one. It wasn't the one. Um, and I eventually did. And it turns out weird. I just need to make my books more weird. And that was what I need to do. So that's what worked for me. But so basically, like, don't give up. Because the only way you actually, like, fail is if you stop trying. Um, I agree. And, yeah. And then my second piece of advice is you have to learn how to love revision. And um, pre-pandemic, I did a lot of school visits um, where I'd go into, like, to schools and, like, talk to kids about writing and books and how to get published and stuff like that. And I would always ask kids, like, the kids in, in, in the room, who likes to write? And, like, remember, most, most, a lot of hands will go up. And then I say, who likes to revise their work? And then like everybody sits on their hands because <laughs> um, people hate revising. And I'm like, well, I have bad news for you. Um, you have to learn how to revise. And I would take out my very first editorial letter and I have it taped end to end. It is 20 single space pages. It is epic. <laughs> and it was panic inducing to get as a newbie author. <laughs> um, but I got through it and it was brilliant and I had to embrace it in order to make my the book the best it could be and i got through it and if i can get through a 20 page single space edit letter it was like ten thousand words literally um you can get through any edit letter <laughs> you have to figure out how to revise and when i first started writing i hated revising it's like well i just spent all this time writing this draft why should i have to train change these words i like them then i realized they weren't really that good mm -hmm. as i thought they were being a little too precious about it um and had to figure out how to learn how to embrace revision and that's you have to figure it out and like come to terms with it in some way, shape or form. It's now my favorite part. I hate drafting. It's like pulling taffy from my brain. It's awful. But once I finally get the words on the page, it's like, okay, now I can make them better. <laughs> That's the best part. Like make them shiny. It's yeah. Like you, you get them out. 
and then then you just kind of reform and you know there's a a fairly <laughs> successful writer that I know who does a lot of horror conventions and <laughs> this individual is just like oh well I only write first drafts and one of my friends heard him say that and it was like yeah we know like you can tell <laughs> it's not something to be proud of necessarily yeah though there are no. people i don't know people who write really clean first drafts because what they do is they actually revise as they go along mm -hmm. um so they're they're putting it takes them longer to write that first draft because they are going back and revising every single time before they write the right next passage and that way they it's not really a first draft because yeah. they are in fact revising it's just i've attempted I've attempted to read this this individual's work, and it's very much a first draft. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. And somehow <laughs> they are fairly successful. And I think a catchy title <laughs> also helps. And mm -hmm. you know, like I said, we haven't gotten through the end of the of the book, but I'm imagining Twin Daggers has uh, multiple meanings it as does. we go along, because that seems like a very deliberate title especially when you introduce the beginning like like oh my twin sister and i and it's like okay that's definitely going to come back you know you know like again i keep bringing it back to this but it's someone that ever it's something that everyone is aware of you know the game of thrones books mm -hmm. you know they know it as a game of thrones but the entire collection is called a song of ice and fire mm -hmm. you know and you know, there's a reason that it's called that. You know, there's a reason right. for these different, uh, different, uh, different titles mean different things. There are specific things that are being used because they mean something and can be taken a bunch of different ways. And I think with, mm -hmm. you know, especially fantasy, depending on the hints you drop as you go along and the way your narrative kind of is weaving in and out. Those things could be um, very, uh, I don't want to say misleading, but can lead your reader on a number of different paths and into a number of different uh, conclusions, even after mm -hmm. they finish the book. That's true. Yeah. That's, so, that's fair. And I think that's, uh, that's a skill that's lost on a lot of people mm -hmm. um you know coming up with a good title is difficult and it's like <laughs> oh what's this about uh you know like take stephen king's the mist and what's it about <laughs> mist you know like it's descriptive accurate yeah, like it's, but yeah <laughs> there's no mystery to it yeah um, yeah but yeah it's i i like when you have that type of wordplay and intrigue yeah it's it's definitely used in different ways it's it started out with it being their like their code name mm -hmm. in the armory which is the the magi's spy network so everybody has like you know different weapon code names um but theirs is the twin daggers and there's there's a relevance to that and it sort of evolves a little bit about that and i like that a lot <laughs> i do i think that's um a very nice touch and it really makes you want to read more Especially, you know, like I was saying, like, this has got to mean something else. What does it mean? I want to know. There's um, also Dagger in, in Romeo and Juliet. 
Yes. So that's there's a tie into that as well. Yeah, there is. De- yeah, that. Not going to spoil it, but you'll you'll find out when you get to the end. I mean, there's you know, it <laughs> definitely makes me think of uh, you know because when I think Romeo and Juliet retelling, I kind of think a little bit of The Princess Bride. <laughs> and if you look at it that way, and if you're familiar with the source material, a little bit, very little. Interesting. Um. So you have uh, your book comes out <laughs> on the twenty fifth. So it does. Uh, a few days from when this when this episode drops mm-hmm. and you are doing uh, a specific event for that to uh, commemorate it. So uh, why don't you tell I us am. a little bit about that? Uh, it's a virtual launch party, um, which means anybody can join. Um, they just have to register. The link to register is on my website um, and social media. And it's hosted by the Toadstool Bookshop in Nashville, New Hampshire, which is my hometown. I don't live there currently, but I grew up there. Um, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully, um, we talk about the book, answering lots of questions. You can talk to me directly, ask me, ask me stuff about books, writing, pugs, whatever, Shakespeare, <laughs> whatever you want. It's all good. Um, and my website, uh, is, um, marcykate.com. So if you can spell my name, you can find me. It's M-A-R-C-Y-K-A-T-E.com. Yeah, very, uh, very easy. It's not like, you know, it's M-A-R-C-I-E-E. There's a couple of accents. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how often my name is butchered. It's... Kate is spelled with an ampersand. Uh... <laughs> the Olsen twins ruined my life. You would... <laughs> they really did. I'm not kidding. I um, a, uh... Last year around this time, I went on a two-week tour with my co-author for The Star Shepherd. And like, he had seen people, you know, butcher my name here and there but it was literally a daily occurrence and by the end of the tour he was like geez what are they doing like every day literally every day somebody would call me mary kate <sighs> yeah see this is you know, <laughs> normally before a show we're like how do we pronounce your name it's like well marcy kate is fairly straightforward like it is but you put marcy and kate together confuses everybody yeah. you guys did great pronouncing it i really appreciate oh. it <laughs> thank you like that's important it's, for us it's such yes. a simple thing but like yeah everybody does it everybody does all it all right and it's mitchell carl <laughs> is it cannoli <laughs> i've gotten that before oh, too I'm sure. that, I'm that's, sure. yeah that's well, my husband's name he used to get that all the time growing up in like somerville area right. you know yeah all the time yeah i mean it's it's Again, I think it's a regional thing. Like, if someone were to try to pronounce the town where you live and they don't live in New England, it would be <laughs> yeah. a very difficult no. thing. And that's not like narrowing it down because there's like 20 <laughs> yeah, there's towns. quite a bit. Of... Bunch. Massachusetts is like ripe with those. How do I get to Haver Hill? <laughs> where is Peabody? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> uh, Worcester, Gloucester, Leicester. Yeah, like... it's, uh... yeah. All of all of them. It's so difficult. funny. So, where do you like people following you on social media? Um, I primarily hang out on Twitter and Instagram. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Marcy Kate. On Instagram, I'm at Marcy Kate Connolly. My last name is C O N N O L L Y, not with an E. Um, and Facebook is also Marcy Kate Connolly. You can find me there as well. Yeah, you've got your uh, your author page set up, and you get mm-hmm. your, your really fun little. Uh, book for it yes you can see my video little videos of my book where i did a time-lapse book for it it was really fun i saw that fun. one and in the background i noticed the pug poster so i'm like we have to talk to her about pugs we love pugs what can yeah. i say 
So I want to I want to thank you for spending the time with us, taking the time. Absolutely. On a, a nice. Uh, this is Saturday when we're recording this. It's not that the weather's that great, but uh, it's the first time it's not two hundred degrees with humidity. So uh, <laughs> That's true. You know, uh, so yeah. I I very much appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I've really My enjoyed pleasure. reading the book. I can't wait to get to the end and you know. <laughs> shoot you messages on Twitter but like oh my god I can't believe it was the tree the whole time yeah see that that's that's what I was talking about callback to the beginning of the show right? Was, yeah right it was the tree the so whole the, time there is going to be a sequel so depending on what you think of the ending there will be things resolved in the next I think book. you mean a tree cool <laughs> but yeah thank you very much um we will post links to your website we'll post links for awesome. uh the, uh, the the launch party because I think this is going to be fun and I think people are really going to enjoy this book the the uh, the the cover very much looks like daggers in motion you know with the yes. swirling trails of yeah it looks really I love cool. it so much it's so badass it reminds me of V for okay. Vendetta like towards the oh, end yeah. when he's swinging his his blades around you see like that almost like a, a like a trailing mist behind it. I hadn't thought of that. It's very cool, like a liquid motion almost. It's very, very cool. On the final cover too, there's like some spot foil on all the metal parts as well. So like the daggers have a little spot foil and like the clockwork. It's still a glossy cover, but like it's a little shinier. It's really cool. And I got the hardcovers. I was very excited. I couldn't capture it well on camera, but it's really cool. I definitely recommend picking up the hardcover because... Yeah. It's so pretty. It's very nice. <laughs> so we will let you go. You have yourself awesome. a, a great rest of the afternoon and weekend. And uh, everybody check out Twin Daggers. And, awesome. Uh, Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. It's been 10 years, 10 years to plot and plan. And now, Debbie Wilkins is back. A decade after her killing spree on the set of The Bayou Butcher, Debbie Wilkins has returned to the spotlight. And she's getting the attention she craves. But will she bathe in glory or in blood? Debbie isn't the only one who's been plotting and planning. And when worlds collide, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage. Does Debbie have what it takes to stay on top? Or will she end up on the cutting room floor? Debbie Rashawn, Stormy Daniels, and Diana Prince lead a cast of badass women in Axe to Grind Part 2, coming soon. Support the Indiegogo campaign by joining the Facebook group, clicking the link, and choosing your perk. Want to be in a scene with Stormy? You can. Want her to kill you? That's up for grabs, too. How about your face in the movie, or your artwork, or your own music? All of these perks and more can be yours. Support Indie Horror 
Don't make Debbie ask you twice. On June 27th of this year, 16-year-old Jack Weeks, excited to be out at the beach, ran to the water and dove in. But it was too shallow, and Jack landed awkwardly. He damaged his neck from his C4 through his C6 vertebrae. He was instantly paralyzed and unable to breathe. The quick thinking and fast action of some bystanders, which included some doctors, ER personnel, and everyday heroes who happened to be at the beach that day, saved Jack's life. Now he and his family face an uphill battle to pay for uninsured medical costs and the many changes that must be made to their home in order to facilitate Jack as he adjusts to this new chapter in his life. You can help by going to helphopelive.org backslash campaign backslash 17554 to donate, share, and learn more about Jack's situation. A link will also be in the show description. You can also choose to mail a check to Help Hope Live to Radnor Corporate Center, Suite 100, 100 Matsonford Road, Radnor, PA, 19087. Make checks payable to Help Hope Live with In Honor of Jack Weeks on the memo line. Anything you can do to help will be greatly appreciated by Jack and his family, especially his parents, Cammie and Kip. You might recognize Kip from his role in The Strangers and how active he is in the horror community and with our horror family. And now he's reaching out to us in the horror community as our horror family and relying on the kindness of strangers to help his family overcome this daunting adversity. Please share Jack's story and donate if you can. Thank you. This is Emma. You're listening to Showdown Sunday. That was a really fun interview. She's uh, just delightful. She was so much fun. And uh, I really can't wait to finish that book. Twin Daggers is, uh, it's really good. And for those who missed it, we actually interviewed another author on Shark Bites this week. Hannah C. Howard. Her, her, uh, her book, Ignite the Sun, just dropped on Tuesday. So be sure to check that out as well. Yeah, I posted links to her, uh, to her, uh, her website where you can purchase the book. So if you go to Shark Bites, the uh, Facebook group, it's the uh, announcement. So it's at the top. So you go in there and you can uh, click on it. You can join her uh, her author page on Facebook and you can uh, buy her book. Uh, speaking of buying books, uh, I know we've been inundating you with uh, buying books and and you know, suggesting things for you to throw your money at. Um, but there's a new thing that just came out a couple of days ago, Tuesday on the 18th. And uh, in case you haven't seen, um, my first book that I didn't publish myself uh, just dropped on Tuesday from Source Point Press called How Much Do You Tip an Exorcist? And 
I am so excited about this. I can't even tell you, folks. Um, this thing is eight years in the making. It's got 40 illustrations from our good friend uh, Jeanette, uh, Jeanette Andromeda, who did our podcast logo. Actually, both podcast logos. Uh, she did the original one, and she did the new updated one. Her art is absolutely phenomenal, and I can't wait for everybody to see all her drawings. Like, it's, it's awesome. And like John Waters said, if you go home with somebody and they don't have books, don't fuck them. That's so true. So be fuckable and buy Patrick's new book. Ooh, that's a good, that's a good uh, piece <laughs> of advice. Yes, yes. If you want to be fuckable, you should have my book. Um, you heard it here first. Yeah, that's a good line. That's probably the best endorsement I will ever get. <laughs> um, I am absolutely going to use that all the time. I'm going to put that on the dust jacket. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, that's like the best review. Um, yeah, this whole thing has been surreal. Like, um, I got the message on Friday. I was actually out shopping, and uh, Josh Werner, who is the uh, the gentleman that I've been going back and forth with, the one who to whom I originally pitched the book, he uh, uh, you you might remember him from. Uh, a Shark Bites episode we did on Star Wars. I think it, he was on with Rocky to, to, dis to discuss the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, he liked the book. He's like, I can sell this just based on the name. And I was like, okay, well, you know, take a look. Here's the stuff that's inside of it, too. And he, he really liked it, um, which blew me away. And he, he was, you know, we were kind of going back and forth for a while. Um, Jeanette was doing redoing all the artwork that she did. Uh, and it's utterly incredible. Um, it makes it makes the book so much better. And he messaged me and he's like, hey, do you want to see the cover wrap? And I was like, yes. And he showed me and it was, you know, the front and the back cover. And I almost started crying in the middle of Walmart because I was just so blown away by how this looked and the fact that it was like starting to be real. Like it still doesn't seem real when I have the book in my hands. It still might not be real. I don't know. I have an interview coming up. Like someone's interviewing me for once, which is so weird. Wow. That's going to be two weeks from today when this airs. So it's the first the first Thursday of September. I got to look at the date. I don't know what that is. The, the third. It's the third because we're going away on the 11th and that's a Friday. You know, if that's what it takes for you to figure things out, good for you. Yes. Math. I math good. Um, but yeah, it's going to be on the uh, Source Point Press Facebook page. Uh, we're going to be doing Facebook Live uh, on their their segment called "Get to the Point," which is very clever. I like wordplay, as you guys all know. So I'm super excited. Um, the book is only ten bucks. It's only ten bucks for this book. It's 148 pages. Uh, there's 40 illustrations. Seriously, in all honesty, it's 9.99. It costs me. Less than $17. It was $16 and change with shipping to get the book. Like, less than 20 bucks. You cannot go wrong. And if you're a huge fan, like I am, uh, as I should be. A huge fan of yourself? I'm a huge fan of the way the book looks. Okay. <laughs> you can also buy the How Much Do You Tip an Exorcist t-shirt. I have shirts with my book on them. 
that I didn't make. Someone <laughs> else made these. Like, this isn't our tea public store. This was an option that was given to me. Like, hey, with the way this, this cover looks, you know, sometimes we do T-shirts. Would you like your book cover to be on a T-shirt? And I was like, yes! And so, obviously, I already ordered one. I'm so excited. I can't. I will wear it every single day for the rest of my life. Please wash it. <laughs> no. It's my lucky <laughs> shirt. I can't wash it. I think flies are lucky. Um, but yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, but speaking of uh, projects that we are also uh, involved in, mm-hmm. as of tomorrow, the what the hell day is today? The twenty. Today four? is. The twenty what? What was the that? Twenty. <laughs> it's it is the twentieth. Yes. August twentieth. So, so August twenty first, Friday. Tomorrow. Yes, is the last day to contribute to the Axe to Grind or Axe to Grind Part Two. And you already heard the uh, you heard the commercial. Last day. Uh, they're trying to make a big push, so. If you are in the Axe to Grind movie Facebook group, you will have seen this this announcement from Scott Sanford, who is the writer and producer. Insane! This Friday, we are giving away free perks. Since it's our final Friday of the campaign, we are doing something crazy. Not only are we unlocking new, amazing perks, but if you get any perk of any amount, any amount, you get tons of free perks. X2 Grind Swag. What? So you get free stuff. They're opening up more perks. For free. For free. Uh, there was also, uh, if you didn't catch it last week, they added a, uh, for $75, you get a behind-the-scenes photo, like, scrapbook type thing that'll be put out once uh, filming is done, obviously. Uh, so that's super cool. But, yeah, I, I'm... Super excited about this. I cannot wait to see it. Uh, I can't wait to uh, to be a part of it. And, uh, yeah, I'm... I'm. You know, we, we talked a couple of months ago about, like, how COVID ruined so many of our opportunities that we were supposed to have. And then, like... This kind of makes up for it. This, like, my book comes out. We get to be part of this movie. There's something else a brewing that I don't want to talk about because I really can't. But uh, you already know what it is. It's the thing I told you about, and we're going to do your thing. Oh, yeah, it's that another thing. collaboration. Yes. So there's there's so much going on. We're going to stop, collaborate, and listen. Ash is back with a brand new edition. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Word to your mother. So anyways, we have a lot of stuff in the works. Please, 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 please support independent artists, whether it's purchasing someone's book, donating to a film's GoFundMe, or uh, the, not GoFundMe, what's the... What's Indiegogo. The, Indiegogo, the or what have you. Crowdfunding. Crowdfunding, that's a good word. I like that. Uh, you know, supporting your artist friends by purchasing art right now, you know, it may... Not seem like a lot, but it is. It is. I know a lot of artists have taken a hit during this yeah. this time during quarantine, not being able to, you know, 
go to conventions. Merchandise, yeah, you know, not being able to really promote their wares. And, you know, right now it seems that there's an inundation of stuff on social media. So it's really difficult to promote yourself on social media right now. It is. And with, you know, the way that they're doing things like the the algorithms and whatever Zuckerberg bullshit is going on right now, you know, um, it's it's very difficult to get your stuff out there and it's very difficult to get yourself seen. So the best way to do it is to just support your friends, support your artist friends, your filmmaker friends, you know, anything that you can do, shop small. I know a lot of small businesses have really taken shop a smart, hit. Shop smart, shop S-smart. Have <laughs> really taken a hit during this time. And, you know, a, a, a purchase. I, mean, I know they say this around the holidays a lot. Small businesses. Yeah. But, you know, really shop as, as small as you can right you now. You were going to say yes, Mart. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up! Uh, you know, and just, and just support the arts. The arts are suffering right now, unfortunately. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, like, hypothetic situations that may become true. Yeah. You know, right now. So please support the arts. You want to be entertained. Support them now. So that we can have entertainment in the future. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm always asking you to contribute money to, to something. But even if you don't contribute, share. Yeah. I mean, the more that we share things, like I said, you know, sometimes the algorithms on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter can be a little wonky. So the more that we share things, the more it has the, the potential to s- come across people's eyes and for people to see it and, you know, to, to support and you know, I know money is tight for a lot of people right now. It's completely understandable. But, you know, there are other ways to show your support. And honestly, people are more than willing to work with you right now yeah. as well. You know, and I'm going to have I'm going to have copies of, of my book that I'm going to be I'm going to be doing a giveaway for. Yeah. So so stay tuned. So a lot of definitely want to have two copies. So buy one because they're super cheap. And then you could win a signed one. So you display one and read the other one. Do you really think people are going to want your autograph? I mean, it might not be worth anything now, but in 10 years, it might also not be worth anything. (laughs) Um, Guaranteed to at least remain the same in value. That's that's my goal. It's It's a pretty solid investment. Yeah, I mean it's ten bucks and it's signed. Like you can display it, and people are like who signed that? And like, oh, some guy. I'm like, oh, that's some great. guy in a shark suit. I if 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 people buy this book, I will I will definitely like do a live video of me signing them wearing the shark suit, because how else could I possibly sign them? Like that's just the way it is. Um, but yeah, uh. Even if you're not interested in my book, if you could at least share it, you know, contribute to the stuff that you like. Yes. That's basically the point. So um, I think that's about it. Yeah. So check out Marcy Kate's book. Check out her uh, on Tuesday, her uh, her live event on her author page. Yes, it's August 25th. So it's what? MarcyKate.com? Marcy Kate Connolly on um, Facebook. Yes. Um. It will have links and everything in the show just dis- in the show notes, show description, up above or down below, depending on where you're watching or listening. Okay, Leo. Yeah. 
But uh, we have some really fun stuff coming up for this show too. I mean, we've been doing some really fun stuff. We have even more fun stuff. Oh yeah, and remember, it's almost September, which means it's almost October, and which means we're gonna be delving back into horror stuff soon. October. We're gonna be doing horror stuff, and we're gonna be getting. If you some think fucking quarantine and coronavirus is going to damper the Ashtober spirit. You are wrong. You are so wrong. You are quite mistaken there, sir. You've got another thing coming there, Jeeveses. Or person. Jeeveses. <laughs> it's like a religious butler. Okay, this has gone downhill real fast. So I think with that being said, we, we will see you next Thursday. Thursday. Buy my book. Buy my book. Stop collaborating, listen Ice is back with my brand new invention Something grabs a hold of me tightly I flow like a harpoon daily and nightly Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know Turn off the lights and I'll glow Stream, I rock a mic like a vandal Light up a stage and wax a chump like a candle Ice, ice, baby I'm a lyrical poet Miami's on the scene Just in case you didn't know it Rolling in my 5.0 With my rack top down So my hair can glow Keep my composure When it's time to get loose Magnetized by the mic While I kick my juice there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while Bobby revolves it. Ice, ice, baby. Vanilla ice, ice, baby.